Hey, this is Cindy Morgan, and welcome to a new episode of the Gourmet Music Podcast. What music were you listening to 30 years ago? Assuming you were alive 30 years ago. Well, we're going to take a look at the year 1990 and what Christian music sounded like in a few different genres. I'm Dave Trout. Welcome to a special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast. I'm not alone. We have a special panel of guests ready to dissect the year 1990. Let's hear who's with us. My name is Robert Berman from Worship Musician Magazine. I'm Gary Godfrey from the podcast Good Patron. Hello, this is Chris Marchand. I'm with Post Consumer Reports, the podcast. Hey, this is John J. Thompson from True Tunes and the True Tunes podcast. Well, before we dive into dissecting the music of 1990, I know it sometimes is helpful to understand the context that you came from. So um, what spot in life were you at that year? In 1990, I was a college student. I had been listening to Christian music for a few years. By 1990, I was a junior and senior in college, and I'd already amassed a pretty hefty music collection. I was always on the lookout for compelling and interesting music that intersected with my faith. And all these years later, I still am. So in 1990, I was eight and nine years old. And the thing about being a kid in in third grade is that you simply have to listen to whatever your parents, or in my case, my older brothers, would have to offer me. Which for me, meant mostly listening to contemporary Christian radio. And 1990 was a massive year. I actually launched True Tunes in the middle of 1989, although we had started the foundations of it a little bit before that, but 1990 was really when things got cooking. Yes, it was a really big year in my life, too. It was a transition year for me. I It was the beginning of my freshman year of high school, and also a year where I experienced a lot of spiritual growth. And in fact, that was the year that I decided to only listen to Christian music, which... Again, I don't recommend that to anybody, (laughs) but I just knew music was going to be a devotional source for me, and that was not something my parents told me or a youth pastor. It was just a decision I made between me and God, and uh, and yes, music began to really be an important source in my life, and I began to discover the breadth of music that was available within the Christian market. And because we want to represent the breadth that's out there, we're going to break up this episode into three acts. Act one, we're going to focus on the pop adult contemporary kind of radio side of CCM in 1990. Act two is going to be the alternative scene, and act three will be the Christian rock scene. And we're going to tell it like it is, because even if you loved Christian music in the year 1990, looking back, a lot of it stunk. In fact, Here's a sample of a lot of the hits you would have heard on radio that year. He just needs a few good days. 
Oh my, you heard a lot of electric piano on Christian radio in the year 1990. In the adult contemporary side of things, a lot of the mainstays from the 80s were the ones that were still on the radio in the year 1990, and many of those artists were really in the twilight of their career. When you want to talk about Christian music, like mainstream pop AC, the only thing I can say I loved about it was that it provided a great reason for us to offer an alternative Christian music in 1990. Most of it was just overproduced, lots of hairspray, lots of compression, lots of stacked vocals. People really used the recording studio to just suck the life out of music. I mean, here's just some of the artists that were prevalent in 1990 on Christian radio. Steve Camp. Faithful Heart, Billy and Sarah Gaines, Kelly Huff, The Imperials, Larnell Harris, David and the Giants, Harvest, Morgan Cryer, Roby Duke, Dallas Holm, David Meese, Truth, Cynthia Clausen, Kim Boyce, Bob Bennett, DeGarmo and Key, Tim Shepard. Now, it's not to knock those artists, but let's face it, they were all at the end of their career. It wasn't a forward-moving year in Christian music. It was kind of stuck in the past. In fact, most of the music that you just heard... It sounded dated only a year or two later. It had a very short shelf life. Now, there were a few hidden gems that were a cut above what uh, the majority of Christian music was and the pop adult contemporary scene. And that's what we're going to primarily focus on. And the conversation really needs to begin with what still is a pretty groundbreaking album in terms of its pop sensibilities, and that's Michael W. Smith's Go West, young man. Chris? One of the first albums I ever bought on cassette was Michael W. Smith's Go West, Young Man. And I think for me, this was this is one of my first big albums. Michael W. Smith's Go West, Young Man may seem like one of his lesser albums uh, in retrospect of his whole career at this point. But at the time, everybody was delighted to hear more work from him. Love Crusade was fun. Place in this world made it onto uh, mainstream radio. And Agnes Day entered the singing repertoire at plenty of churches and youth groups. Go West Young Man had a huge number of catchy songs and significant songs. Place in this world almost gains the fame of Friends. And this album has Agnes Day. And these songs were all over Christian radio. Now, as much as I love those songs, I'm actually going to pick my personal favorite from that album. This is How Long Will Be Too Long. I think it holds up pretty well, actually. Here's Michael W. Smith from the year 1990. Tell me how long will we grovel at the feet of wealth and power? Tell me how long will we bow down to that golden calf? Tell me now. How long will we Indifference. 
Michael W. Smith's Go West Young Man had something happen to it that not many Christian albums in its time had happened, which was it was certified platinum with over a million sales. And it also went on to win the Dove Award for Pop Album of the Year. Well, if the Dove Awards are an indicator of what was big in Christian music the prior year, then we look at the 91 Doves to see that Mr. Dove Award himself, Stephen Curtis Chapman, was taking home trophies. In fact, he won for Male Vocalist of the Year and Songwriter of the Year for the third consecutive time. The Man and the Mullet released in 1990 his album For the Sake of the Call. You can make fun of his hair all you want, But this album ended up winning a Grammy, and the title track was all over Christian radio. Stephen Curtis Chapman is sort of a funny case because his Kentucky accent marks him, obviously, as more of a country-type artist, but there was no strong market for a country that he and guys like Paul Overstreet could be in, and so they tended to get shoehorned into adult contemporary and pop instead. For the Sake of the Call was Stephen Curtis Chapman's fourth career album, not only Dove Award winning a Grammy Award winning album, it was also certified gold. Um, Another album that came out in late 1990 that was also award winning and also certified gold was by this new trio that was on the rise and catching everybody's attention. If you were like me, a teenager in the year 1990, you were checking out the music 
of DC Talk. Okay, DC Talk, a new thing. I imagine we would all like to forget that New Kids on the Block were a thing, but history is history, and DC Talk existed and put out music before Jesus Freak. The other songs on the album haven't really aged very well either. Sorry, guys. I loved Jesus Freak, though. DC Talk was still on the way up from being uh, fairly amateur on their second album, uh, New Thing, which was recorded with Mark Heimerman. They actually had the distinction of recording this album twice because the original tapes were destroyed in an accident, uh, but that gave them the opportunity to do it better the second time around. Well, I just loved New Thing. My pop rock evolution got carried into the phenomenon as it was, was uh, brewing in the, in the CCM world of DC Talk. And looking back, I don't think New Thing really ages very well at all. But here's the deal. So flippin' what? I like it. You know what? You might even say, I love rap music. <laughs> so that's the thing. Go and listen to the song, I Love Rap Music. It is absolute cheese. It just oozes cheese. But when you are a kid, this kind of music makes your life. Oh man, I was so into this album and into DC Talk at this time in their career. I think I saw them perform live five or six times during the new thing album and um it is kind of cringeworthy when you listen back but there's also sort of that like fresh prince of bel-air nostalgic mystique to it too there are just some great tunes on there and here's an interesting thing about contemporary christian music I feel like as, as many debates as people have about DC Talk, they were on, in their own way on the cutting edge. They were doing something different. They were doing something unique in their own fashion, even as they were taking from other genres and taking from the trends at the time. Well, if DC Talk's new thing left our panel a little bit conflicted, <laughs> well, let's focus on a Christian pop album from 1990 that... Uh, our panel pretty much all agrees upon. I was so excited when Charlie Peacock's album Secret of Time came out. I'd loved his earlier work and had been getting his West Coast Diaries cassettes from him in the mail, but this was a really well-polished, well-produced, nationally distributed album full of fantastic songs, and the song Dear Friend was all over Christian radio. He surprised everyone by signing to Sparrow Records for a 1990 release. Sparrow was at the time known for uh, pretty calm music, but he brought elements of Peter Gabriel and Prince. It was the beginning of a long string of success he had throughout the 90s with albums of his own and producing others as well and writing hit songs for Amy Grant and others as well. There was one record 
that was surprisingly mainstream for some of us who had followed this artist when he was doing what we thought of as mostly alternative kind of music. But Charlie Peacock put out The Secret of Time in 1990. And I'll, I will admit that it was a little bit more mainstream than I expected. It was a little bit more radio-oriented. But you just couldn't take the genius out. The, the songs are so well-written, so thoughtful, so brilliant, that it actually helped me to appreciate well-done pop music. So when I think about mainstream Christian music in 1990, that's really the record that sticks out. The Secret of Time, Charlie Peacock from 1990. Man, syrupy, sweet, beautiful, romantic, theologically true. It just doesn't get any better than that. And it actually helped me think maybe there is a reason for CCM music to exist. The incomparable Charlie Peacock that dates back to 1990. And I was just thinking about how I would discover some music from 1990. Sometimes it'd be you know, at a local Christian bookstore. Sometimes it'd be on Christian radio. Um, but one big resource that I have to give a, a hat tip to um, is the show Light Music. Some of you might be nodding your heads if you were around... It was a nationally syndicated music video show hosted by Tom Green, um, broadcast out of Pennsylvania, but syndicated all throughout the country, um, featuring Christian music videos. And um, boy, I, I discovered a lot of artists and music through that, including Charlie Peacock. I remember them playing that year. Uh, they frequently played the music video for Big Man's Hat. And they would play the live video of um, Dear Friend many, many times throughout the years. Um, so much so that I remember a lot of the lyrics today just from watching the music video so many times. <laughs> but that was such a great show. And there was one music video that was played a lot that year. In fact, I kind of just had to endure it. Um, and uh, I was 14 years old. This was not my cup of tea. But everybody had to endure it because it was the number one most played song on adult contemporary Christian radio for the whole year of 1990. And it actually went on to win the 1991 Dove Award for Song of the Year. Yes. Oh, let's remember another time, another place.
Okay, so let's talk about another time, another place. Wayne Watson, Sandy Patty. I have memories of this song as a kid, and here's what those memories were. Pure annoyance. <laughs> I remember being subjected to this song and thinking, what is it with adults? Why do they like music like this? There, were, there just seemed to be something about it that it was too much. It was too over the top. I couldn't take this music. I didn't know what adult contemporary was, but I knew this was not for me. Okay, so let's have some 2020 hindsight vision. I think it's more than decent, and, and it actually fits into a genre. Really, it's just great, cheesy adult contemporary music. I liken this to Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings, or one of those Michael Bolton uh, epic ballads that he sang, Time, Love, and Tenderness, those types of songs that are just so schmaltzy and over the top that you just kind of have to go with it. And all of those songs are pretty, they're, they are more than decent for what they are. And another time in another place, is intelligent songwriting, so I will give them credit for that. Now, I'm going to go back to never listening to that song ever again. And listen, we're not here to just bash on the schmaltzy music that came out in 1990. Um, in fact, obviously that song meant a lot to a lot of people and it was requested everywhere and played everywhere. But to our point, you know, the songs that were the top songs on radio in, say, the year 2005 or 2010 or 2015, those are still songs you might hear today. Whereas Another Time, Another Place is literally stuck in one time and place and only just three or four years after it was released you really never heard of it again on on christian radio or or anywhere it just it just kind of became a a dated quote-unquote classic all right we are nearing the end of our pop adult contemporary section of the year 1990 so um i'm gonna let our panel pick out maybe a few other notable releases from that year. Take Six had already put out their debut album a couple years earlier, but when So Much To Say came out, it brought their incredible brand of jazz-based acapella music to an even broader audience. One of the surprise hits of the year uh, was the R&B gospel family, The Winans, who took an R&B rap turn even on their hit, It's Time, which uh, among my friends was at least as popular as DC Talk. Randy Stonehill had been around for a long time by 1990, and his album Until We Had Wings was a great addition to his discography. One side was new studio songs, and the other was live tracks. Now, his new songs were great, but he really shined with the live performances. I played this album a lot. Uh, This is fun to look back and go down memory lane and hear a little bit what Christian music sounded like in the year 1990. Um, This first segment is all the pop and adult contemporary stuff that you uh, mostly heard on Christian radio. Um, 
And of course, thank you to our panel for hanging out with us. This is couldn't do this without them. This is fun to, to banter around um, and just talk music and where we were at when we were listening. Now, uh, when we come back, um, we're going to go a little bit more into the underground because um, segment two, act two of this episode is the uh, alternative music scene in Christian music. And uh, huh, you think um, guys like Garrett and John will have a lot to say about that? I think so. Stick around. It's the 1990 special of the Gourmet Music Podcast. This UTR Media Podcast is brought to you by the latest single from Weston Skaggs. Sun Won't Shine by Weston Skaggs is a song about hard times, intentionally set against the sunny music reminiscent of 60s indie folk. Sun Won't Shine by Weston Skaggs, a new single released by Old Bear Records and available now on Spotify and all music platforms. One thing we've all been missing this year is live music. And with your help, we want to bring it back in the quickest and safest way possible. UTR Media is teaming up with Renew the Arts to launch a coast-to-coast hosting network where live music can once again be enjoyed in size-controlled and socially distanced ways in your living room, patio, or backyard. Be one of the first to sign up to be a host and help change the live music landscape now and for the future. And it's totally free to join. Just go to utrmedia.org. Despite being the beginning of the 1990s, uh, some of the albums, particularly the alternative albums, have a sound that characterizes the best of what that decade would bring in Christian music. True Tunes was really an alternative to mainstream CCM music. In 1990, we were starting to really hit our stride. The alternative scene was really kind of normal music for us. The Christian alternative scene in 1990 was fantastic. We weren't quite to the era of prolific releases by Blonde Vinyl or Tooth & Nail yet, but there were plenty of labels giving us some choice albums in the alternative genre. In fact, a number of these albums still have so much staying power that there have been successful campaigns to remaster and re-release them on CD and vinyl in these past few years. Would the spirit of truth make a liar understand if I reach for
You're listening to the 1990 special of the Gourmet Music Podcast. I'm Dave Trout, and joining me today is Robert, Chris, John, Garrett, a panel of music lovers discussing what Christian music was like 30 years ago. And this act two is focusing on alternative Christian music. And you can't have that discussion without talking about the amazing 1990 release from the choir, Circle Slide. Choir put out Circle Slide in 1990. Man, oh man, <laughs> just they were going from strength to strength. Oh my goodness, what an album that was. The Choir was already one of my favorite bands by the time 1990 came around, but Circle Slide just helped cement them as a lifetime favorite. With a big, full sound, this album was incredible with headphones, and I still get emotional listening to it. The Choir's Circle Slide album was this massive wash of reverb guitars that made you just want to kind of sit back in your chair with your headphones on for the next 45 minutes and take it all in. Uh, a 90s Christian music group on Facebook a few years ago voted it the top Christian music album of the entire 1990s. I'm so glad I've got these guys around on the show today to talk a little bit more about this area because I was not into Christian alternative music as a freshman in high school in the year 1990. In fact, I I have a double confession to make. Confession number one is I didn't like the alternative scene at all. I I I really didn't like the sound of you know that Brit pop sound of Depeche Mode and and Thompson Twins and <laughs> people like that. And and to me that whole alternative scene was just trying to sound like Brit pop or you know Brit alt rock um whether it was the choir or the 77s or mad at the world or uh Jacob's Trouble Adam again all those bands just I felt like we're just trying to sound like a Brit British band that I didn't care about so that's confession number 1 confession number 2 is I was wrong <laughs> I feel like it was a missed opportunity looking back because, you know, looking at the adult contemporary music, the pop music, and then also even the rock music that we're still going to dive into later in the show, it was this alternative genre of music that that really did stand the test of time, that really was the music that, you know, tackled the widest topics and had the the sound that 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 had the longest shelf life. Um, thankfully, my taste in music did evolve over time, and especially when I went to college, I really started to appreciate more of the alternative scene. Um, one of the bands that I now think of as a favorite of mine that were brand new to the scene in 1990 was Bill Melanie's group, The Vigilantes of Love. And then a band called Vigilantes of Love, which there's no way to call that a Christian band. They were not a CCM band at all. They were not involved in the CCM or Christian industry. In fact, most of us wouldn't have even heard of Jugular in 1990. We wouldn't hear that until a couple years later. And we would go into the Rewind and find out that the record came out uh, back in 1990. This roots rock, jangly, sinewy singer-songwriter band from Athens, Georgia, uh, ended up being beloved by fans of alternative Christian music. And they definitely had a strong faith component component and Bill Maloney the lead singer brought his faith and wore it right on his sleeve but uh, to call them a Christian band would be to do them a great disservice they were something much bigger than that all right what'd you all think about the 1990 release from the 77s 
the 77 Sticks and Stones album is sort of a strange album uh, for 1990 at all because all the tracks on it had been recorded several years earlier and the band had effectively ceased to exist for a while at that point. But it was still one of the best of the year and sounded at least as good as everything else that was coming out and often better. The album Sticks and Stones was chock full of incredible alternative rock pop songs and that really showcased just how diverse and skilled they were as a band. The 77s put out a record called Sticks and Stones, which was really kind of a collection of uh, false starts and demos and things that they had uh, started to do right after their Island record a few years earlier. It's a fantastic record, considering the fact that it wasn't even really an album. It's just amazing. The 77s on a bad day are better than most bands at their best. And that record uh, is just phenomenal. It still stands up to this day. It's an incredible record from top to bottom. When I gave up, you held up. When I ran out, you filled me up. And I kept running, you kept up. When I let you down, you lifted me up. This is the way love is. Last time when I closed 
to go coast to coast with that one this is the way love is by the 77s released in 1990 hey thanks for listening to this special edition of the gourmet music podcast if you want to, a recap of all the artists and songs that we featured on the show today you can go to the show notes and they'll all be listed there um uh, by the way uh, there is there is one songwriter um that released some work in 1990 that um even to this day uh probably is almost on par with Rich Mullins in terms of how much people dissect his songwriting and his lyric writing and um, even some of the hidden spiritual messages in, in the music. Um, and that is Mark Hurd. In the years after Rich Mullins' death, I was hungry for more. And one of the names that kept popping up in people's lists was Mark Hurd, another man who had died before before anybody expected and before his time and his, whose death and absence was lamented. And so I'm happy to say that I went back and discovered Mark Hurd. What I appreciate about what Hurd is doing is he is making music within the field of the Christian industry that nobody else was making. And I know that there are tons of independent artists uh, doing what they like nowadays in, in 2020. But uh, at the time, to think that music like this could be made for Christians to just go and, and consume, in some ways, again, the same year that Sandy Patty and Wayne Watson released Another Time, Another Place, the uniqueness of a voice like Heard and like Vigilantes of Love and the choir in the 77s, uh, it, it's uh, it's just wonderful that this this kind of stuff, this kind of music was able to exist and get out there in the world for people to hear. Mark Hurd had moved into the next phase of his career. His previous Ideola album had been more of a David Bowie, Talking Heads uh, sort of tribal music, uh, but he had now made fingerprint records and fingerprint studios and was recording music more in the vein of Paul Simon and Loudon Wainwright III. 
the genre of Americana didn't have a name yet in 1990, uh, but that's what he was recording. Probably one of the most important records of 1990, and I'm talking about outside of just Christian music, was Mark Hurd's Drive On Dance. Oh my gosh, Mark had been in the Christian music industry, but finally broken free. He was doing uh, albums on his own terms and his own label, exactly the way he wanted them to be. And he was starting to get noticed well outside of the confines of Christian music. And Dry Bones Dance is this really, really lovely blend of what we later would call Americana music uh, with elements of folk and country and singer-songwriter stuff all kind of blending together. And uh, Mark was just hitting them out of the park. At first, no one was really, I mean, there was a very small group of us that were listening, but that audience would just grow and grow and grow. Uh, Gone way too soon, Dry Bones Dance was that time when we thought, this guy, this guy's going to end up making it out of here. Even just listening to it now, you can tell Dry Bones Dance, the 1990 release from Mark Hurd, was songwriting way ahead of its time. And, um, oh, wow, he was so revered by, by even songwriter, contemporary songwriters. Um, and many of our panel mentioned a, a premature death. And for those of you who just don't know, maybe you're new to this year of music or genre of music, uh, Mark Hurd actually passed away at the age of 40. Um, He was performing a concert in 1992 at the Cornerstone Music Festival. He had a heart attack on stage and finished his set of music uh, without anybody knowing his condition, and then he immediately went to the hospital. Um, He was released from the hospital and then ended up having another heart attack and passed away in August of 1992. Um, He is gone but not forgotten his music legacy still influences artists to this day well i hope you're enjoying this little blast into the past as we take a nostalgic look at the year 1990 maybe a music education look for you newcomers to uh, hear what christian music sounded like back then um what else was going on in the world well the number one movie in 1990 was ghost starring patrick swayze Um, The number one TV show that year was Cheers. Uh, The number one song that year on pop radio was Vision of Love by Mariah Carey. The number one music video that year was You Can't Touch This. And uh, the number one video game that year was Super Mario Brothers 3, which sold, get this, over 17 million copies. Um, the minimum wage nationally was $3.80. And one company called Cisco had its IPO that year on the stock market. If you would have invested $2,000 in 
in Cisco that year and just held on to the stock, today it'd be worth $1 million. <laughs> okay, now that you're a little depressed, uh, we'll stick around because when we come back from this break, we're going to hit the music genre that I was most passionate about in the year 1990. Yes, the hair was big, the pants were tight, and the vocal notes were super high. Yeah, we're talking about Christian rock. That's coming up after this on the 1990 special of the Gourmet Music Podcast. This UTR Media Podcast is sponsored by the solo debut album from organ-based recording artist Luke Lillard. God stayed in the mud and made a life down there with us. This Dirt Made Lord by Luke Lillard is a folk-tinged project in partnership with Renew the Arts that features songs born out of grief and struggle and ultimately restoration. This Dirt Made Lord by Luke Lillard is available now on Spotify and all major music platforms. This UTR Media podcast is sponsored by Amazon.com and their platform for giving back to nonprofit organizations, smile.amazon.com. The next time you need to buy a backpack, computer, book, glue sticks, ultra HD TV, or fidget spinner, millions of products, and you type in AMA, stop right there and instead type in smile.amazon.com. It's the exact same website, exact same products, but now you can type in UTR Media as your supporting organization and Amazon will donate 0.5% of all eligible purchases to UTR. You literally pay the same price and get the same prime benefits, but UTR Media gets supported thanks to you being a kind and thoughtful shopper. If you shop with the Amazon app, you can load up your shopping cart and then go to smile.amazon.com to check out and you will be unlocking free money to support this mission. Again, go to smile.amazon.com for your online shopping and select to support UTR Media. It's the 1990 special of the Gourmet Music Podcast. I'm Dave Trout, and where was I in 1990? I was playing Super Mario Brothers 3 and listening to Christian rock, discovering all the bands I could. In fact, I'll give another hat tip, this time to Jim Chanel's program, The Rockin' Crankin' Christian Countdown, which... By the way, if I didn't discover that show, I might not have ever fallen in love with the idea of going into radio. That show was very influential to me and discovered a lot of Christian rock at the scene. Now, of course, Christian rock, this is pre-grunge era. This is full-on hairband glam rock. But boy, I could not get enough of it. Christian rock is what started my fascination with music, and that never really went away, even though some of the music I got into got harder. 1990 brought a lot of releases by the veterans of Christian rock, but also a huge slew of new, harder bands came on the scene. 
it was a great year. The mainstream rock world in Christian music was definitely kind of mostly falling under the overproduced, uh, kind of a lot of it was following the formulas of 80s rock still. They hadn't got the memo about turning down the compression on the drums and, and uh, things starting to head into that more alternative, even grunge thing yet. Um, so CCM music was definitely all about glam rock and, and arena rock still in 1990. In 1990, most Christian rock was sort of like mainstream rock of the time in that it was stuck in a holding pattern uh, imitating late 80s glam rock and Def Leppard and sort of waiting around for the next big thing to come because grunge was not a thing yet. Can you name that band? <laughs> I doubt it because, uh, yeah, kind of obscure Christian rock band from the early 90s. One of many, many bands to hit the scene in 1990, 91. And a lot of those bands recorded one or two albums and then disappeared. Well, because, you know, rock music, the grunge scene had arrived, the the old hair arena rock was out and so a lot of those bands just had sh very, very short careers. That band included called Christavox. Uh, that was their debut album with the song All Around the World. And uh, man, I knew too much about Christian music back then. Oh yeah, I vividly remember Christmas from 1990. I got a stereo system for my bedroom. And then I used all the money I had saved and went out and bought a epic five cd changer for my room my cousin dan was with me we hooked it up i also got two cds that christmas morning dc talks new thing which we had never heard before and another brand new one and we decided to go with the other one because it was a big decision what cd do you play first on the new stereo system and we pushed play on track one of the new album beyond belief by petra I know, I know, it's cheeseball arena rock, but boy, I still get nostalgic goosebumps when I hear that. Uh, what did you all think about Beyond Belief? Beyond Belief, in some ways, is a classic album. And uh, I would like to add that uh, the importance of album covers, uh, the, the album of them standing in this airport hangar, kind of silhouetted against a white background with this huge, massive airplane uh, in front of them or to the side of them, I don't know, there's just something about that, that, that look, that cover, that it sticks with me. And I love that about album covers, you know, that I can associate a set of songs 
with a certain image. While my first ever Christian rock record was by Petra, and while this album was all over Christian radio, I never could get into it. I just couldn't get into the new singer and his sound. Beyond Belief was Petra's most successful album, and I certainly listened to it plenty at the time. Uh, but in retrospect, it wasn't really pointing the way forward. It sounded still a lot like their previous couple of albums had, uh, and it lifted rifts from bands like Kiss and Def Leppard pretty blatantly. Petra was one of those bands that in the early high school years for me, 1990, 91, 92, I probably saw Petra in concert like five or six times. And um, that album, Beyond Belief, was their biggest hit. It was certified gold, which was unheard of for a Christian rock album. And it also won four Dove Awards and a Grammy Award. But there was no bigger hit that stood the test of time quite like the title track beyond belief just listen to that riff i would point to beyond belief as just one of the great hooks that brum bum 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 that riff coming in there come on man that is so catchy and it's just a great tune should do some kind of blind study where we we get people to sit down and listen to what we think are the greatest uh, songs out of the Christian industry and just get their initial impressions. I would love to hear people's impressions of the song Beyond Belief because I think it's a great tune and it stands stands up over the years. I remember in the mid-90s being in some sort of like music appreciation class in college and the professor asked if we knew of anybody who could sing harmonies with themselves, because that's actually not an easy feat. And he had suggested some sort of, I think it might've been like a jazz female jazz singer that um, he thought was the best at it. But I'll tell you, there was a name that came to my mind as being the guy who was just known to stack vocals on top of vocals on top of vocals. He could just go vocal crazy. And that is Ken Tamplin. 
After his work with glam metal band Shout, Ken Tamplin released An Axe to Grind in 1990 as a solo project, and it was full-on glam metal with scorching guitar work. If you think the guitar licks and the stacked vocals are big, you gotta see the hair. <laughs> In fact, we're gonna let you. There was a music video for this song that you're hearing, Living for My Lord by Ken Tamplin. We're gonna post that music video on our Instagram page. You can go uh, find it at UTR Media on Instagram. I mean, the hair metal sound was pretty huge in 1990, you gotta admit. And, uh, you know, so if you weren't a fan of bands like Poison, Warrant, Rat, uh, Def Leppard, you know, you're kind of on the outside looking in in some ways. But there was some rock music that you could find that was cut from a different cloth. There's one record, again, not coming from the Christian market at all, but hugely influential for people like us, was King's X's album, Faith, Hope, Love. Amazing record. Every song on it is perfect. Hugely influential uh, in the entire rock world. Definitely uh, not just in Christian music by a long shot. Uh, Every song is solid. The lyrics, the production, the guitar, the bass, the drums, the stacked vocal harmonies, it's just an incredible record. Uh, When you hold... King's X's music up to almost anything that came out from any official Christian labels. Uh, it's just miles ahead. King's X released Faith, Hope, Love, and it became their best-selling album. And if you've listened to it, you understand why. This album has their classic sound with amazing musicianship, intricate harmonies, and really well-written lyrics. It was on repeat for quite a while.
Yeah, that album, Faith, Hope, Love by King's X, released in 1990. It was their career most successful album. It was almost certified gold. Um, and it made CCM Magazine's list of the 100 best albums in the history of Christian music. It's pretty crazy. There was so much Christian rock that released in 1990, even a lot of debut artists, just a glut of it. And so we're going to just hear some samples. One of the debut artists borrowed, let's say borrowed heavily from the formula of Ario Speedwagon and Journey. It was the uh, short-lived band called Halo. You can totally hear the quintessential John and Dino Elefante production on that one. Um, Robert, you have another debut artist. Holy Soldier could be signed to Amy Grant's record label Murrah and release an album in 1990. And it was a great hair metal album. It sounded more like the albums of the previous couple of years than what was coming down the pike, but it was very well done. Yeah, that uh, debut from Holy Soldier, self-titled album in 1990, um, actually took home two Dove Awards in 1991. Pretty amazing. One album that I love because it was just straight ahead rock and roll with biblical lyrics. It was uh, the album Second Avenue by the band Idol Cure. Angelica's Walking in Faith album was one of my favorites of the year with some clean vocals. It had uh, screeching but really clean guitar sound as well and just some incredibly memorable pop songs cast in a sort of a hairband mold. And Angelica's from Canada. You, you knew that, right? <laughs> Well, one of my favorite bands that released an album in 1990, uh, and it became one of my most listened to albums, maybe of all time. In fact, I probably still to this day have almost every word memorized of every song on the album, is the White Heart album, Powerhouse. One White Heart song that I knew so well, and in some ways was just as ubiquitous as Another Time in Another Place, and and Schmitty's music as well, was the song Desert Rose. Here is another song that I would put up with the 90s power ballads from these rock groups like Poison and Whitesnake and Mr. Big and all these other bands. Powerhouse probably would have been received as a pretty good Whiteheart album if it hadn't come right after Freedom, which was one of the defining Christian rock albums, but by that time half the band, Whiteheart, had left to go into studio work. The remaining three members recruited a new rhythm section and pressed on, and they produced some pretty good songs on that album, but I don't think anybody thought it was as good as what came before. Away, 
while I know that just looking at critical analysis, um, that Powerhouse falls a little bit short when compared to their previous work, Freedom, um, but it still was one of my all-time favorite albums. Uh, it took Whiteheart in a little more of a edgy rock direction, which I loved. It translated well to their live shows, and I actually saw Whiteheart live in concert probably seven or eight times between 1990 and 93 and even had a homemade powerhouse white heart jean jacket that I sewed and got um, all the members of white heart to sign it, which, you know, so I'm a little partial to this album. Well, I'm going to play one more song in its entirety and it is, actually my favorite Christian rock song that was released in the year 1990. In fact, is my favorite song, period, released in the year 1990, and still to this day, one of my all-time favorite Christian rock songs. Yes, it is a little cheese ball in terms of it sounding like Toto or uh, Ario Speedwagon or uh, one of these um, arena rock bands, but... I just, I love the lyrics, I love the incredible harmonies um, and the sound, and it comes from uh, just this epic album that still, to me, stands the test of time in terms of its rock sensibilities, and that is Mastodon's album Lofgaudio. One band that came out with Lofgaudio was Mastodon, John and Dino Elefante's band, they only played one live show. It was a Cornerstone 91, which was actually pretty impressive. It was down on the main stage. I remember that show. Lots of excitement about that. John Elefante had sung for Kansas for a while. They were great producers. So uh, this was kind of like our world's version of Toto or something like that. It was an all-star band. It was a, a group of studio musicians. They sounded great. They had that a little bit of progressive rock, very mainstream, very high-level players and production. Uh, so in that world of mainstream rock, especially coming from the Christian music world, it didn't get any better than Mastodon. And when you listened to Mastodon, you kind of found a bar that others just had a really hard time getting up to. But they really weren't a live band. They weren't, it was kind of even hard to think of them as a band. They kind of were a project. Oh, I'm so excited to share this song. Oh, it brings back such great memories. This was my favorite song from the year 1990, Run to the Water by Mastodon here on the Gourmet Music Podcast.
you know, I just vividly remember um, hearing Jim Chanel's radio show, The Rockin' Crankin' Christian Countdown, and hearing that song, and it was really at the early stages of just falling in love with Christian rock, and yes, that song parked at the number one spot for several weeks in 1990, that's Run to the Water by Mastodon, and uh, just gives me all the feels and lots of warm fuzzies. (laughs) Great nostalgia, as is the purpose of a show like this. Thanks for tuning in to the 1990 special. And for those of you who are younger than me, who are um, not yet in your 40s, boy, I do appreciate you going along for the ride, even though uh, it's kind of like your older uncle, you know, showing off the music that he grew up with. Um, and, uh, for others, I hope it was just sort of a fun walk down memory lane. Uh, it was, it was just a lot of fun to put together. A huge thank you to our round table of great panelists, including Robert Berman, John J. Thompson, Chris Marchand, and Garrett Godfrey. Um, also thank you to our support team who keeps this show on the air and who keeps all the ministry happening at UTR Media. If you'd like to be a part of that team, we would love it. And um, there's no specific dollar amount that you have to give or anything like that. Um, it's sort of a free will thing, and some folks um, have been giving very generously. And in this year, 2020, it has been very needed and very encouraging. So thank you. Uh, by the way, yeah, it, I was going to finish that sentence if you want to join you can get info at our website utrmedia.org and we will link to that site in the show notes as well okay i've got some quick homework assignments for you if you have not yet signed up to be a host of our brand new coast to coast hosting network to bring back live music in 2021 do that at our website Also, you can sign up for our latest listener contest where you could win a brand new reformatted version of the Wingfeather Saga books. Uh, You can also subscribe to any of our podcasts and you can uh, listen to any of our playlists. We have uh, three playlists all on Spotify, Apple Music and Amazon Prime Music. So lots of stuff to discover. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of this special edition of the Gourmet Music Podcast. I'm Dave Trout. And this has been a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org.